This season, I have teamed up with Blue Microphones. I have been a huge fan of their products for years now. My partner actually gave me a Blue Yeti microphone for my birthday a couple of years ago, and that's what I used to record season one. So to now be working together on season two is just so great. Blue's award-winning products have helped countless podcasters, musicians, YouTube creators, and Twitch streamers find and amplify their voices. So, if you're looking to share your passion with the internet, definitely check out Blue Mics. Hello, I'm Antonia Preville and you are listening to The Most of It, a podcast where I endeavour to find the answer to one big question. How do we make the most of our lives? Now, this is actually the final episode of season two, which I feel quite sad about, but I don't feel too sad because we are ending on a really fantastic note. In today's show, I am speaking to my dear friend and national treasure, Kanoa Lloyd, who is, of course, the much beloved co-host of TV3's The Project. Kanoa has won hearts across the country for being such a warm, empathetic journalist and presenter who isn't afraid to share her personal story if she thinks it will benefit other people. And today is no different. We chat about a lot of things, including how Kanoa approaches her life and work, what she does when she feels stuck, how she navigates her life in the public eye and the inevitable pressures that arise in that position, and how therapy has helped her understand and manage her anxiety. She also shares how slowing down and taking time to take stock of her life is an essential step for her to find calm and clarity. Kanoa is a deep thinker and has such sensible, practical advice and a really relatable perspective. I admire her so much. She has got so much wisdom to share, and I'm so pleased to have her as part of this series. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi, Kanoa. Hi, Antonia. Thank you so much for coming to my house and being on my podcast. Thanks for having me at your beautiful house. Isn't this amazing? Well, it's sort of two birds with one stone in a way because we've been wanting to have you and Mikey over for, I don't know, years. Yeah. (laughs) And then there was just that little fire that got in the way. The little fire that that got in the way. That was a bit of a nuisance. It was such a nuisance. Yeah, it was (laughs) such a nuisance. So now at least I've got you over and then we can have Mikey over another time. Perfect. But other than it's wonderful to see you, I'm so, so thrilled that I can have you on this podcast because I just think you are a pretty wonderfully unique person. And I really, I don't mean that just to like, you know, heap praise on you, but in the context of what we're talking about in mm. this podcast, because I feel like I'm in sort of the privileged position and that I, I'm friends with you, but I've also seen you at work, at mm. work because when I've been on the project. And you have this amazing ability to be completely authentic and express all parts of yourself, not just the shiny, bright parts mm-hmm. on TV. You're really amazing at, I guess, having the confidence to express your vulnerability as well and the things that you find hard. And I just think that's, a, again, a pretty unique thing that really points to your strength of character and, re- again, really points to kind of what we're trying to get to with this podcast, which is how do we make the most of our lives and how do we embody the most of ourselves. Yeah. And I think you are someone who really does embody the most of oh, themselves. Thank you, Tony. That's <laughs> so sweet and very embarrassing to listen to you say all of that while I'm sat right here with yeah. you. <laughs> Just have some more scone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm too scared now. Um, yeah, thank you. That's definitely not a deliberate thing, but I do think it's kind of the way that media and millennials and like wahine and and perhaps queer people in general are sort of moving, like more typically marginalised people, queer people, people of colour, women, are sort of, I think with the rise and rise and rise of social media and connectivity, people that haven't had voices before are really finding them. And so my doing that on the platform that 
I have on the tally is definitely in conjunction with a whole lot of other people from around the world that are kind of doing the same thing. So yeah, I don't know. There must be something in the water because it was never, I was never like, oh, you know what? I'm going to talk about all the really hard things in my life and hopefully that resonates with people. It's just sort of felt right to do off and on over the years. And I guess mainly what I have in mind when I do something like that is that how much I would have appreciated that when I was coming up and if I could have looked to someone who said, hey, I, you know, I struggle with mental health issues or, hey, like we didn't have a lot when we were growing up, but here I am on this big shiny TV show or whatever it may be. Hey, I experience microaggressions and racism in, in my workplace and in the world around me. That would have made a real difference to me. So I guess in a way, telling those kinds of stories is sort of like a love letter to my former self, you know, the the sort of teenage me and the kid me, and hopefully it helps other people as well. Yeah, oh, it just absolutely will because I, I'm definitely someone who is the most influenced by people around me and what they are doing and particularly people I admire and, and you are so admired and loved <laughs> by the nation. You're the national treasure. <laughs> And I feel like I have just done a show recently where I was like, Hilary Barry is wifey and I'm like the weekend fling. That's like... <laughs> of New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weekend fling sounds great to me. Just like fun and like not as invested, you know, and I want Hilary Barry to be my wifey. So... Me too. I'll just be the like on the weekend one. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel a weight of responsibility to use the platform that you have? Or again, is it something that just feels natural and you just do it because it's coming out of you? Well, it's kind of changed over time. Like the project, if I just concentrate on, you know, the stories that I've done on the project, that's when we are in our fifth year now, which is, I know. Congratulations. Thanks. It's, yeah, it does feel like such a huge achievement, you know. It is a huge achievement, It's a scary time slot. It's a big responsibility kind of filling that and obviously we have this massive team that that fill those episodes up. The ideas behind what I say and what I do have evolved over time and I think initially I felt like a bit of an imposter uh, because I didn't have a journalism background. I was a weather presenter (laughs) who had done music and kids telly beforehand and then I was sort of given this opportunity and I guess what I thought I had to offer at the time was sort of all these really personal things about me and I came to realise after a couple of years I would say that that was actually costing me a lot and wasn't super healthy just to sort of do without some careful consideration all the time. Are you talking about sharing yourself? Yeah, yeah. So, for example, if I would say identify something that I thought was quite racist, you know, a commentator saying something ridiculous that belonged in the dark ages, I would speak about that on social media and speak about that on the project and then sit there and deal with the backlash from the conservative few that had a real problem with that. And I know that they are the conservative few, but it doesn't make it any less painful to sort of read those sorts of responses. And I don't know what it is about the human brain that you manage to filter out all the lovely support and totoko and gratitude from other people. And it's just the yucky, disgusting troll cream that rises to the top. But that's what was happening. And I guess I thought, I actually need to look after myself and make this sort of storytelling sustainable and stop feeling like it is just my responsibility to sort of talk about social issues. And yeah, so it's evolved a bit and I'm constantly trying to find the balance of talking about what I care about, but also being able to go to sleep each night. Taking care of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And yeah, as you say, I can imagine it's just a continually evolving beast Mm. as the stories evolve and as you also evolve and change as a human, as a woman, and what's important to you changes. Yeah, It must be so difficult getting that negative 
criticism. Like in my job, I'm slightly removed from it because most criticism, if there is some, it's not really aimed at me as such. It's I have a bit of a barrier between me and the projects that I do because yeah. I'm acting a role. <laughs> you know, it's not just me. But yeah, you're you're at the coalface. It's it's you putting yourself out there. And I think you are someone who puts yourself out there in a more multi-dimensional way than other journalists, perhaps because of exactly what we're talking about. Mm. And it must be really difficult to have both thin and thick skin because you want to have empathy and that's such a beautiful quality of yours yeah. to connect with the people in the stories and yet somehow develop this thick skin yeah. to the to the comments. I mean, perhaps that's an impossible ask. Yeah, I mean, I think I have learned that the main thing that protects me from that is pulling back. And actually, you know, you say that other journalists don't make themselves as vulnerable or whatever. That's because that's like their job. Like that's what's considered being a professional journalist is right. to, you know, focus on the story, focus on the facts, focus on the balance. And there are so many people that do that kind of work that I just admire so deeply. I stand so hard. <laughs> and But that's not my training or my background and that's not what I can do. So I've sort of found this, this tangential kind of newsy storytelling that I can do. So pulling back, like I don't really, I rarely use social media anymore. I certainly stay away from Twitter and Facebook, which is just, there's so much criticism. And that's not because I'm not open to criticism. It's not because I don't want to grow. And I have really seriously learned some quite big life lessons from <laughs> brouhaha's that have happened on social media. But I think in general, it's a skewed picture of the world and how they think of you. So that's been the main thing is, is sort of pulling back from the internet and concentrating on the actual real people that I meet and, and you know, have the privilege of being able to help tell their stories. Working on that fundamental idea has definitely helped me keep the balance a bit better. Yeah. Because do you love your job? Oh my God, I love it so much. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. Like I can't believe that it's my job. Can you talk a bit about how it happened? Because yeah. I remember, I don't know if you remember this conversation. It was about 1 or 2 a.m. at the TV Awards about seven years ago. Yeah. And we were chatting and you were saying that you were feeling a bit stuck yeah. in your career or in your life, say, and you weren't sure what the next step might be. And we were kind of riffing on what that might be. And then this, <laughs> the next step turns out to be the project. And it's just feels like it's a, a gift of a job, but also you are a gift to that show. It's just works so well. So what do you think made you become unstuck. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a combination. Like I buy into a bit of magical thinking for better or for worse. Oh, me too. Uh, <laughs> let's, absolutely. Let's get into that. Um, yeah. Like Mikey, my husband does tease me quite a lot. He's like, remember when you used to be like, when I was doing kids TV, I would, you know, I would watch Samantha Hayes on on Nightline or I, you know, see Hillary and Mike together and I'd be like, wow, I wish I could do that. Which is an absurd thing for a kids television presenter to be thinking. And then sure enough, a few years later that would happen. Or even before that, I was like, in that sort of golden era of C4 television, I loved those people and I loved the work they did. And I was like, wow, I would love to be able to do that one day. And then sure enough, I spent a couple of years doing sort of like an after school music show. I don't know, like, because <laughs> I'm not that driven. Like I don't have this sort of full speed ahead, laser focus on, on a goal, but I guess I sort of think my way around the edges of things and, and I'm quite um, analytical, like to be having that conversation with you, which I do remember very well. It's like, Tony, help. <laughs> What's the next thing? <laughs> um, you know, I guess I do have that kind of mind where I can go, where I am right now is not quite the right fit. And just identifying those things, I think starts to make shifts, starts to make changes, you know, yeah, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling undervalued in my office. So, you know, I think having, you know, the kind of brain that thinks around like, mm -hmm, this doesn't feel right and I need to figure out why. And then having a lot of people in my life that I can talk to about those kinds of things, friends, 
my husband's amazing, my sister's amazing, and obviously I now see a therapist, like I've been seeing a therapist for about four years. And so just all those different places that I can go and go, I just need to get this off my chest. Once I've done that, the next thing kind of unfolds without too much concerted effort, you know? Yeah, I do know what you mean. It's sort of like, well, yeah, the first level of any change has to be awareness, doesn't it? Mm. Of, okay, well, what do I need to change? Mm. And I think even that sometimes is quite difficult to identify. Totally. Particularly in, you know, our busy modern world yeah. when most of the time you're just sort of chasing your tail, ticking off your to-do list for a day. It can be really difficult to stop and prioritize just actually critically thinking about your life and if you're happy with where you're going. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, the first step is to stop and look at everything. And then as soon as you do sort of, it's almost like decluttering the system or something and creating some space for something else to occur. Yeah, I really like that idea of decluttering and creating space because I really firmly believe that a lot of good can happen in that relaxed space, but we're so conditioned to like push, 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 like put the pedal to the metal that there's kind of this idea in our society that that's the only way you achieve something. And actually I have seen just as much growth and change happen in those quieter moments and I think those like investing in finding brain space and finding some peace is is really valuable it's not lazy it's not something you need to feel guilty about it's essential and yeah super valuable it's such a good bit of advice because it's not saying you have to be religious every week about writing down your goals Mm. and if you haven't met them that's terrible and you're falling backwards it's actually just giving yourself space to reflect yeah and see what comes from that yeah yeah Yeah. totally and I I mean that's not for every person I know a lot of people that would go absolutely mad if they didn't have you know sort of the next thing and the next Mm. thing and the next thing I just know for me that when I start to work too many hours or say yes to too many things or ignore my better judgment and go oh yeah all right I'll do that as well that's when I start to get grumpy and run down and very heavily reliant on a glass of wine at the end of the day and just, you know, sort of let all these not great habits creep back in because I'm stretched too thin. But if I'm able to pull back from overcommitting and slow down a bit, I'm so much more productive. I'm so much clearer and more focused and do a better job at my actual job and the actual things that are priorities to me. That's so sensible. And I'm definitely taking that in because I think my natural rhythm is like to rush. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm not in a rush, I Mm -hmm. sort of feel like I'm in a rush and I get some sort of kickback if I've got a bit of adrenaline up and having to tick all the things off the list. But I'm absolutely the same. Things do work so much better if I trust the timing, like capital T, the timing, as opposed to my own sense of of timing. And it's it's never your own sense of timing (laughs) that wins. You know, it is always seemingly the timing of the world that will just unfold. And if we can chill out a bit and if I can chill out a bit and align myself with that, things will just go more smoothly. Totally. And I've been really amazed. Like one thing about pregnancy that I've noticed is that everyone kind of talks about baby brain and I definitely have had some really forgetful moments, but um, I've actually also had some real clarity and I feel like good judgment and as you know, our work's a really fast-paced environment and, you know, there's lots of people throwing around ideas and some days previously I'd just been like, oh, God, what's everyone saying? I don't know. I've got nothing. <laughs> I find myself more and more now, like, able to kind of think of something really quickly. Part of me puts that down to the fact that I'm not relying on a glass of wine every day to, like, finish my day. I have to slow down. I have to take naps. I have to prioritise, like, eating and breaks and things. And I do wonder if, like, a wonderful byproduct of that slowing down is this, just these sort of brighter, clearer moments that I've been getting. That is so great. So those um, techniques, if you like, what, or skills that you've been developing about slowing down, taking a more relaxed pace, kind of taking the, a slightly looser grip on life, mm. is that something that you've actively 
worked on with a, a therapist? Because you've been really open, haven't you, about seeing a therapist, which yeah. I just totally commend because it seems like the stigma is becoming a bit less, but it's still there a bit, isn't it, about I seeing a therapist? I the, think the cultural social stigma is less, but I think the expectations people have of themselves is still just as bad. And, and you know, like I've got friends who... Of course, I've like talked about therapy with them. They know a lot of my story. They have their own stories. They're super supportive of me. But when it comes to actually crossing that threshold and investing in themselves and taking that step themselves, they're still unable to. Mm. Um, and do you know why that is? I mean, I think there are so many reasons. My feeling is that individuals still consider it an indulgence and hard to justify, especially it's not free, which is outrageous. It's it's neither free nor cheap. No, no. So when you've got a family, when you've got other work that you're taking, it can be really hard to fit in. I try and tell people it's like taking out a gym membership. You know, it's just, it's not about you being in crisis and going and crying to someone and saying, help, the sky is falling. It's about you working a muscle and building that muscle so that you are sort of stronger and have more energy for what life does throw at you. But I mean, I can do that because I don't go to the gym because I hate the gym. <laughs> so I was literally just driving past the gym this morning and thinking how I have a m- membership and haven't used it <laughs> since Freddie was born. <laughs> 20 months ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think there's also a lot of things in our communities like I mean, I don't necessarily know if psychotherapy or talk therapy is the right thing, for instance, for all Māori or for all Pacifica people. There are other ways that you can wrap around and support people that are more culturally appropriate and more sort of like affirming for your wairua, for your soul. And and that might be about like getting into the garden or being part of a church or community group or what have you. I'm not saying that, you know, brown people shouldn't use therapy. I would also really love to see more investment in mental and spiritual wellness for our, you know, people of colour here in New Zealand that is led by people of colour because then you're kind of providing the right solution that fits the problem and not imposing like a Pakia kind of ideal of how things should be when it's, you know, it's not really going to scratch the surface. This episode of The Most of It is powered by Blue, the mic of the internet. If you're thinking about creating a podcast, starting a YouTube or Twitch channel, or even if you just make a lot of Zoom calls, take a minute to think about your audio quality. The Blue Yeti USB mic is the internet's most popular mic, and it's easy to see why. It's really simple to use, it delivers premium sound quality, and it even looks great too. I have been a huge fan of Blue for a long time. Not only do they make fantastic microphones that I know I can always rely on, but I also really love their values, which are all about helping people find and amplify their voices. So it's a great match for this podcast. I love how my Blue mic enables me to share my passion project with you and so do countless other creators all over the world. So if you're looking to bring pro-quality sound to whatever you do, Check out Blue, the mic of the internet. There's a lot of conversation around wellness and mental health, obviously, Mm. in in society at the moment, but perhaps the boundaries of that conversation are still far too narrow and and only serve a portion of our society. Yeah, totally. Like a portion that has money, that has time, that has access, that will benefit from this relatively new, I mean, like psychotherapy is only 150 years old or something, maybe 100, way of doing things. It is quite a Pākehā way of doing things, I guess. Yeah, I hadn't actually really thought of that before, but you're absolutely right. And there can just sort of make things worse if you are told that this is the solution. It's a panacea. Yeah, yeah. it's not. And then it doesn't work for you. And yeah. you're like, oh, well, I clearly am beyond help. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> Because totally. the thing that everyone else is saying is great. I think why it's worked for me is because it has enabled me to get access to those other things 
to find the confidence to access those other things. So for me, that's been about connecting to more things in Te Ao Māori within Auckland, you know, meeting up with a group of people to talk about being a wahine Māori in business, um, mm. meeting up with like a really inspiring group of women who, um, like I'll just quickly tell you about this project. Oh, please you don't do. have to leave it in if you no, don't No, we definitely will. <laughs> um, so one of the things that um, has been really rewarding for me is being part of this group called Nuku Women, and it's by a journalist called Kiani Matatasipu, and she's profiling 100 Indigenous women. So she's a beautiful photographer. She's has a woman called Taylor who does all this videography with her, and then she writes these profiles. And, you know, just consuming that as an audience member, I'm learning about doctors, people with an art practice, jewellers, they span ages, um, people who do rongoa, like medicine from the bush. Consuming that is like mind-blowing to me. All the different ways that you can be a Māori woman has been so nourishing and like sort of rewarding for me. And then I had the privilege of being one of those women and that sort of connected me to this network and there was like a live event. So I guess, you know, I'm, you know, I might have said no to that before or even sort of seen it advertised and thought, oh, that's not really for me. Like I probably won't get anything out of it. But Therapy has sort of given me that space that we were talking about to go, actually, I think I would really like to participate and be a part of this group of people. So I found it really, really delightful. That is so wonderful. And what a great gift that therapy, but you have given yourself mm. because of, of committing to that. Do you think it was... I know we've we've spoken about anxiety, which we mm. both are dancing with throughout <laughs> our lives. Would you say anxiety was your major blocker to doing the, that kind of thing? Was it the fear of it? Yeah, totally. Because anxiety for me kind of, it comes out in two ways. I think the like the short term manifestation of my anxiety is that I get really grumpy, really <laughs> impatient. And unfortunately that comes out at the people that I'm closest to. Who you feel safe with. Yeah. Yeah. My darling husband is like really, really, really cool. (laughs) (laughs) He is for the record. So cool. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it comes out at work in ways where I, I can sort of feel my, I'm like getting really like stressed about this one aspect of a story and I can't believe nobody else is stressed about it. And then I'm like, oh, this could be because I'm being unreasonable. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that's kind of like the short-term effect, but the long-term effect is that it can be really paralyzing and yeah, it can stop you from doing things that you want to do because you're sort of, yeah, exactly. You're afraid. They mean something to you. I mean, that's often the things we are afraid of, right? Because they, they mean something to us and we've got more to lose. Yeah. Well, a lot to lose if it doesn't work. So what's your relationship with fear and anxiety like now and how's it changed? I think I come back to that thing again of just acknowledging what's happening. You know, now when I was talking about sort of exercising that muscle, now I can have those sort of thoughts of like, why hasn't he done the laundry? He's the worst person. Divorce is imminent. (laughs) (laughs) Or, oh my God, why, like, why has that happened at work? Like, I just don't understand it. Is there even any point in doing the show? I can hear. Quitting is imminent. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear those things. And then there's like another, this kind of voice that has, become stronger and louder that's like hey Kanwa, I think you're actually just feeling a bit uncomfortable this isn't really how you feel what's making you feel uncomfortable oh that's right you did just have like a bit of drama with your mum two nights ago or something you know and so both exercising that muscle and then like sort of having the the room to rattle around in my brain and go what's really going on here? (laughs) And so when I can do that, then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe what I'll do is I'll just pull back a bit. I'll kind of answer fewer emails that aren't important. Make sure I take my dog for a walk, not just around the neighborhood, but, you know, we'll try and hit a park or a beach. Just kind of let myself feel that discomfort and know that it doesn't mean everything. It doesn't define me, that it will pass 
that's kind of the main thing. Yeah. And I love that they're all common sense things. Like these are all like taking your dog for a walk, Mm. slowing down. They're all things that are absolutely accessible to us all the time. Yeah. You don't have to go and meditate at the top of a hill. Yeah, I mean, if that's your thing, amazing. Oh, totally, (laughs) do it, and it would be wonderful. Yeah. But there's ways to navigate fear and anxiety within our domestic and professional life with just doing the same, the things that we normally do, but looking at them in a slightly different way. I do do a breath exercise when I can feel myself rushing, where I just breathe in for four and I hold it for two and then breathe out for five and if I can do that sort of three or five times on a car trip where I'm like hey you're going to cause an accident if you keep going at this kind of mental pace not like physical speed kilometers per hour but yeah so sometimes I'll just do that in the car or if I realize at the end of a day that I'm actually feeling quite wound up just doing that a few times is just a little neurological reset I think and it makes a massive difference. It does. I, I find exactly the same thing. It's For me, it's like getting back into my body mm. and out of my head. Mm. And however I do that, if it's yeah some sort of larger physical movement, like going for a walk or going for a run or doing some yeah breathing exercises. Or recently I've been noticing that when I'm anxious, my throat closes up. Like it, or it, it, it doesn't totally close up. I'm obviously able to breathe, but it tightens. Yeah. And so I'm trying to really focus on kind of like yawning that kind of position to open it up again and it makes such a difference because that tightening it's that freezing you know fight flight or freeze and I think that's how anxiety manifests for me I sort of (gasps) close up do you know what else I have been doing and noticing and it has come from like having a sore lower back with pregnancy is noticing how often I've got my butt clenched. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Which is yeah. so much. Yeah. Like any That's why I've got such a good butt. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. It's not working like that. But any time I think about it and like kind of go, what, what, how am I standing? What's going on in there? And I let it go. I'm like, oh my God, this feels so much better. It's taking all this pressure off my lower back. Like, this is amazing. So yeah, if you can identify something like that, it's pretty like, it's pretty incredible how much you're like, hey, what have I been doing to myself without being conscious? Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Adding, trying to give time to be more conscious kind of seems to be the fundamental anchor Mm. to come back to, right? Yeah. Do you get nervous doing the project? Yeah, I do, do sometimes. Not most days anymore. Like I, I, Whenever I'm there, you don't look nervous, <sighs> but I'm also aware that you might be. Yeah. Because I know sometimes I can look not nervous, but I am. But you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I think that becomes part of being a, any kind of performer, right, is that you have to find a way to tidy up your, your nerves. You're in a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I get nervous at certain things. I'm not great at change, <laughs> so which comes from being an anxious person, I think. So anything that is sort of non-standard, live, I kind of get a mixture of adrenaline and anxiety. Like, for instance, the other day, you know, we use autocue quite a lot for just, just so we know where we're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, our conversations obviously aren't in there, but like our, if we're introducing a story that's in there and that was down until about 6.45 and I was like, oh my, oh my God, gosh. what am I going to do? It's going to be so difficult. What would you have done? Well, we had like paper scripts on oh, the desk, okay. but it's a big show. It's and huge. It's yeah. actually, they don't do it so much anymore. In fact, I don't think anybody on News Hub does it anymore, but that skill, you would have seen them like probably about 10 years ago. They all had paper scripts in case the auto queue went down so that they could keep going. Reading and moving that piece of paper is actually quite difficult. So hard. Like I tried yeah. to do it a couple of times when I was there and I was like, oh, okay, I'm about four pages behind. Luckily nothing's gone wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, we would have had to do like a, a version Ooh, of that. Yeah, yeah right, right. So things like that, yeah, I mean, fair enough. They would be really stressful and you just have to find a way to do it anyway. Yeah, you just have to find a little extra pocket, I guess. And there is something quite profound, I think, when you just have to do something. Mm. You know, there's no choice, regardless of how you're feeling about it. It's happening. You're going live at seven and you're behind the desk. Yeah. <laughs> so but kind of by hook or by crook, it's coming out. Yeah. Would you say that is the hardest part of the job for you, the change, or is there another part that's more challenging? 
on a sort of a daily basis, any changes kind of create the most stress. I guess I do also get into some like really macro thinking where, you know, if I get too caught up in that, that can be really stressful. I mean, Do you mean about the wider issues that you're talking about? The wider oh. issues. And then also like there's a, there's a really weird responsibility that comes with sitting on the desk and being there every night for that show where, I mean, you're both fronting all this work that people have done for you, which can feel really uncomfortable sometimes. You're kind of like, great, I'm just like the annoying get all the glory person and all these other hardworking people are actually like <laughs> the grunt. <laughs> doing the grunt. But then also what comes with that, you know, like I sometimes think, oh my God, like we have to keep this going for all of you guys because you've got families and mortgages and rent to pay and you dedicate so much of your life and like I'm just, oh my God, are we doing enough? Like are we doing the right things that we're keeping this on air and you know, and so I can get quite caught up in that sort of thinking sometimes because I just, I want all the people around me to be happy and safe and okay. And I mean, making a live television show by its very nature is just a really unstable, unpredictable thing to do. So. And then TV3 gets sold and you're just yeah. sort of not sure if you're going to keep yeah. going. Yeah, it's yeah. not a great one for certainty, is no. it? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but my little brain will try and find some sort of Clang on to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then what's your favourite thing about it? What do you love the most? This is going to sound really trite, but... Uh, I'll just say it. Whatever. Oh, say it. <laughs> say it. <laughs> um, I really love going out in the field and like meeting, you know, whether that's going to a community that I don't really go to. Like the first time I'd ever been to Fakatani, I'm really sorry to say, was after the, the Fakati White Island explosion. Mm. But, you know, just sort of, you sort of have this passport to places that you wouldn't go otherwise in your life. And, you know, that's a beautiful group of people. I had so many apart from covering the story and, and talking to these really brave people who had been there at the explosion, I just had some beautiful interactions with people that I wouldn't have met otherwise, you know, like the people running the cafe and a guy who drove from like Tauranga to Whakatane every day for his job because he was like driving a truck and these aunties that were just sat in the car like looking out at Whakati and sort of told me a little bit about the the whakapapa of the place and their, their connection to Whakati and, you know, like that's my job and none of that stuff really makes it to air but it does I think inform the way that you tell a story and the responsibility you feel to kind of get things right and treat things respectfully because of those conversations that you have with the community when you're there. I love people who are passionate about anything it doesn't matter what it is so yeah I just love getting to kind of have a look at what people are obsessed with or nerd out about or love the most in the world. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it's infectious, isn't it? Passion yeah. of any kind. Yeah, I'll finish yeah. an interview and be like, right, I am super into cars now. Yeah, totally. That's, that's me. Motorsport is my life. And then, <laughs> you know. Buy tickets to the Speedway, I am there. <laughs> because you kind of get swept away in, this, in these people's stories and journeys so far. So. Oh, I'm exactly the same if I'm playing a character and have to do a bit of research or even have to learn a new skill for it. Like I played the, um, a nurse once uh, in a series called Anzac Girls yeah. and I had to learn to knit because my character was really interesting and, oh, I got into knitting. Did you? <laughs> yeah. What's the best so thing good. you made? Oh, I mean, I have to say, just things like scarves. Like yeah. I, I never got very good, but I got into it yeah. and just loved it and I'd sit on set you know, if I wasn't in a scene and just knit, knit, knit. <laughs> I found this beautiful kind of meditative process. Yeah. And then I have to admit, I usually, this is very in keeping with my character, I sort of let things go <laughs> after a while <laughs> yeah. because I get distracted with the next thing. Imagine, I think if you could knit together all the half-finished scarves in the world, it would wrap around the world like 5,000 times. I think everybody so does that. Everyone's got some knitting needles and some half-finished stuff in their house. <laughs> yeah. Are you still doing your pottery? Yeah. Oh, interesting that you ask about that. I have just ordered a kit for a friend like that's kind of got everything that she's going to need to make two cups and I've thought this is a gift for her but also a gift for me because when she's ready to do it I'm going to go around and I can take my stuff so that I can make a couple of cups at the same time because I have definitely slowed down on it. It's Kano's pottery is beautiful. The ceramics <laughs> are great everybody. 
they're, they're um, stunning. But it's that same thing of, of a sort of a meditative process. And I think that we don't have very much in this day and age where we make things or do things for practical reasons. So like, this is a really weird thing to say, but I love mowing the lawns or vacuuming as housework because you can like see where you've been and see what you've created, sort of see what your effort has resulted in. And that's why I think things like knitting are amazing or making pottery are amazing because you've got something to show for the sort of blood, sweat and tears that you've put into it. I know exactly what you mean. You're you're creating something tangible that wasn't there before. I'm just starting that with cooking because previously, like my whole life, until the lockdowns last year, actually, I was, I didn't really value it at all and was, yeah, pretty slapdash and would do it for, to get it done, but I wouldn't take any joy in the process or creation. (gasps) But yeah, I've sort of changed now. Like didn't really follow recipes, didn't like following recipes. If it had more than five steps or five ingredients, I wouldn't want to do it because I was in a rush to do some other abstract (laughs) ephemeral thing. (laughs) But now I sort of, I really get it. And it, mm. yeah, that doing something with your hands mm. that creates something that wasn't there before or creates a difference yeah. that wasn't there before is really fantastic. And I, yeah, just going on what you were saying before about that, I think it's such a shame that hobbies or doing something purely for the sake of it and not necessarily to be the best at it yeah. or to change it into a career option, yeah. we've sort of lost a, a bit of that yeah. because we're supposed to be you know, living at the height of ourselves all the time, which is exhausting, that it's you're sort of almost not allowed to just tinker at something and not be very good at it. Oh, <laughs> tinker away, I yeah. say. Make your bloody bobbly scarf or your wobbly cup. Like, it doesn't matter. It's and, so and satisfying. So satisfying. And you don't have to then create a store on Etsy and sell them. No, you know? like in fact, it, please don't. Because <laughs> there's already too much stuff for me to comb through when I go on Etsy. Anyway. <laughs> it's really confusing. <laughs> so looking at your life, do you feel like you're in the place you want to be? And I guess what I mean by that is, do you have grand ideas about what you want your life to look like or what a successful life or what a meaningful life is? And do you feel like you're in that or on track to that? Yeah, I mean, I cannot believe, again, that this is my job and I try all the time to just, like, remind myself what an incredible incredible position I'm in. You know, I love my job. I love my family. I love my my house. I love my animals. And I do think that I've got a lot to be thankful for. And I try to make time to be grateful for those things. The area that I really want to grow in the most and am starting to do a little bit with the help of my my family is reconnecting more to my Māori whakapapa, finding more confidence, finding more of a voice in the Māori world. Because the reality for me and my five brothers and sisters is that we have grown up in a really Pākehā world. But there's really like a really lovely thing going on with all of us at the moment where we're, I feel like we're all kind of going away and gathering different strands and like coming back together to build something that's for all of us and for our kids. Like I've got nieces already and, and any kids that we might have in the future. So I think when I think about big goals and stuff, it's not about my career or anything that I sort of need to change now but it's just about growing I think about career sort of as like a growing upwards and what I want to do is sort of plant more roots and become more grounded so that um, you know I'm building something for my whanau in the future. That is such a beautiful image and then as we know like the deeper the roots the bigger the tree can Exactly, exactly, yeah. Just as you were speaking, I was wondering, do you think that your relationship with your own identity, your Māori identity, has been affected by your job and the platform you have because you have access to stories that perhaps you may not have had access to before? Mm. I understand what you're asking, but I don't, I've never given that any thought. Yeah. It's a bit of a weird question. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean. Like, I mean, because I'm kind of talking about having that passport into communities and stuff yeah, and, and meeting people you, that ref- I might 
reflect on yourself in a perhaps a different way than you may have. Yeah, well, I guess that's sort of what I am talking about when I say that, you know, all of my siblings and I are going off in different directions and, and gathering different things that a lot of what I'm able to gather does come from my work and my workplace and the people I meet in that context. I mean, one of my sisters has just started um, studying at Ōtaki and she's like learning all sorts of amazing things, lots of reo and like she's learning how to make musical instruments and all of these things that I kind of can't understand. Another, uh, like one of my brothers, is he's like started this really beautiful art practice where he's sort of making hiru, like the combs. He's a builder and he does this on the weekends and like in his evenings and that's becoming like, he's like quite popular on Instagram. He's quite Insta-famous. He's like a Māori influencer. (laughs) Great. (laughs) He'll be so mad if he hears this. He'll be like, no, I'm not (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh Another one of my sisters is, um, she works in costume in the film industry and she is working on lots of cool projects that have a lot of Polynesian and Māori people as part of the cast and crew and she's finding that super rewarding and so yeah we're all kind of going away doing our things and bringing them back together and last night one of my siblings was like I think I'm the widest out of us all on our group message on our fun group message and we all like piled on and we were like no you're not don't you say that you're allowed to ask questions you know like so that's kind of how we're coming back together and trying to support each other and grow and find our voices and stuff. What a great thing to go through as a family because it'll be bringing you all so much closer together as well, I imagine, as you get closer to yourselves, Mm. getting closer to each other. Is there anything that, just since we are having this conversation and people will be listening to it, is there anything that you would like to say to young Māori women to help them find their voice? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing would be is that I am just in awe of you. (laughs) The things that I see young Māori women doing and and making and saying out in the world, I'm just like constantly floored. I guess the number one thing that I'm learning, and you know, I actually feel like I might not need to say this because I get the sense that this new generation coming up know this, but like there isn't a one-size-fits-all way to be Māori and whatever way you want to express that part of you, whatever you have questions about and want to get into, just do it. There's no rules. And yeah, there will probably be some painful parts. I don't know a single Māori person who hasn't gone on a te reo journey, who hasn't found that really painful in parts. But, you know, the best salve for the pain is connecting with other people into our Māori so it's hard to go through but it's worth it and stick with it you know I did my first Māori language course when I was 18 and I still can't speak conversational Māori but just keep coming back to it like it's yours it's a hundred percent yours so don't be afraid to keep coming back to it and trying again such good advice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well we finish each episode with these same three questions yes. just you know Just sort of very casual questions, you know, not that big. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the first one is, what is the most significant lesson that you've learned? Oh, no, I know you were like, if you want some time to think about this. (laughs) (laughs) But then I immediately gave you scone and then we just started talking. So you have actually had no time to think about it. (laughs) Um, Again, I I sort of like shudder to say this, but... It's just 100% true is that wherever you're at and whatever kind of position you're in, whether you're making a family or making a career or whatever, you just have to be you. You know, you can't sort of carve off bits of yourself or, you know, stick glitter on to turn yourself into another version of what you're seeing around you. Like, you just have to stay true to yourself. It's way more cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It does all sort of seem to come back to that. And it's not an easy thing to do, is it? It's no. A, it's, a, it's a lifelong lesson. An easy thing to say, but a really hard thing to keep trying to get right. Yeah, to have as an anchor right Yeah, I guess. No, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. So what is a lesson that you are still having to learn? I think to say no with confidence. <laughs> I still find that really hard. I think we 
so many of us are, are people pleasers and afraid to hurt people's feelings and let them down. And even when sometimes you do say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't make that, you feel like the worst person. So, yeah, that's definitely something that I'm still working on is, you know what, it's actually quite conceited to think that you have such a massive impact on other people's lives and <laughs> what they're doing <laughs> that you, you saying, no, sorry, I'm not available is going to, like, somehow upset them like Ruin get over everything. yourself yeah. <laughs> get over yourself and say no I'm sorry I can't do that right now and know that they'll be fine because we are not as big in their universe as we are in our own universe <laughs> yeah yeah it's hard to do without beating yourself up but it is I mean I think it all goes back to that thing of creating space and looking after yourself and prioritizing yourself and it's so much better just to be honest and rip the band-aid off for that other party it makes their life easier too so true. Mm. So to finish off, in your opinion, Kano Lloyd, how the hell do we make the most of our lives? <laughs> I think relationships, like every beautiful, important, spectacular thing that has happened to me has happened because of relationships with other people, whether that's your sort of intimate relationships or like I was talking about the sort of this rebuilding and reconnection that my immediate family are doing, relationships that you have at work. I mean, you know, the fact that I've known you for as long as I have and we've kind of drifted apart and come together for different things. Like, I think making the most of it is about yes, putting energy into yourself, but also surrounding yourself with people that you admire and can trust and, you know, that there's a sort of a reciprocation of energy that you learn things from and, and you get joy from giving things to. So, yeah, I think making the most of it is not an individual pursuit. It's a thing that you do with a village. That's so true. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and giving up your time and chatting with me and also just for, for everything you do and everything that you're putting out into the world. Thanks for having me and thanks for the scone. I'm going to eat the rest of it now that the mics are going <laughs> off. And there we go, the wonderful and wise Kanoa Lloyd. I got so much out of that chat, particularly the parts about slowing down and saying no to things. That's definitely an ongoing lesson for me that I will continue to work on. And if you want to catch even more of Kanoa, you can check out The Project, which is on at 7 o'clock on TV3 every weeknight. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we are now at the end of season two. So I would like to say a huge thank you for coming along on this little journey with me. I really hope you've learned a thing or two along the way. I know I most certainly have. And I would also like to say a massive thank you to Raw Collective, my producers. Thank you for being so wonderful to work with. Also to Blue Microphones for sponsoring this series. And I would also like to give a shout out to Keegan Mayring, my pal, and the very clever musician who composed the music for this series. So thanks for doing that, mate. Now, if you did enjoy the most of it, please do tell your friends all about it. And otherwise, let's all just get out there and try to make the most of it, whatever that might mean or look like to you. Till next time, bye. Bye.